0: the answer
2: yes indeed it is Hour number two is underway now at nine minutes after the hour 10 o'clock on this 20th morning of the month of november in the year of our lord 2018 thanks so much for joining us great conversation with david ray so good to have him this is the second time i've had david on the air in person he's normally stationed in dc with uh, fair and i talked to him when we were down there broadcasting live from capitol hill uh in september uh, with the Federa- with the uh, Hold Their Feet to the Fire uh, event with the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform. And now he was nice enough to come in studio now that he's back up here in his home stomping grounds. Uh, so it's certainly good to see him. It is always good to see, even though today we are going to have to settle for hearing, from our good friend Peter Kirstenow. Peter, of course, a Cleveland attorney member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, noted and celebrated speaker and author. His books include Target Omega, Second Strike, and the soon-to-be-released, I think he said May, the third uh, book in that series of political thrillers. And, of course, he brings you the Kershaw Report uh, weekly right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, Bob. 334 days to the World Series of 2019 that we take in six games.
2: (laughs) You don't even know the about it. But you got—you don't even know what our roster is going to look like. They're trying to trade Kluber. <laughs> They're trying to trade Kluber and Carrasco and all of our arms, Pete. It's scaring the daylights out of me. Why are we doing that?
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I have no idea. You know, I, I, I really don't know. I don't know what you get for a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Uh, it better be an everyday player or two that are on, you know, the cusp of being MVPs. I don't know how you do that. And Carrasco, heck, he may have been our strongest pitcher along with um, – bauer last year yeah. so i'm uh, i am you know, look i'm just holding my breath on this but i think at the end of the day this regime that we've had in place for the last maybe seven eight years it's been doing a pretty good job um in terms of you know getting and keeping talent so uh you know i, I give them the benefit of the doubt for the moment
2: do you like the new unis yesterday they
3: released you know, I didn't even look at them. I didn't
2: see them. Uh, the the nice thing about them, Pete, and, and and we'll get off of this. But uh, my my favorite uniforms ever for the Indians were the mid seventies when they had the red tops. Actually, they had red bottoms too. That didn't look good. They looked like walking bottles of ketchup. But the uh, the red tops with the um, you know the uh, I don't know the best way to describe it. The Indian font, you know, uh, uh, Indians across the front. That that uh, you know that kind of crooked lettering font uh, that they had. Well, they've returned to the red tops. That's what I like about them. They're gonna have the red tops. It'll still be the script Indian. As opposed to the old, uh, you know, Indian lettering, but uh, but the red tops are a nice change because I, you know, you got the blue and the white and then the boring road grays. Now they have the the uh, reds that they're going to integrate in, and I like that a lot. So just win, baby. There, there you go. Just win. That's the most important thing. Okay, Pete. First of all, I want to let our listeners know we're going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary here because Pete is good for the entire hour with us. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you have ever had a question for Peter Kersenow, uh, and a lot of times people will text me or tweet to me and say, ask Pete this or ask Pete that. This is your chance to ask Pete this or that. Call 216 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. If you have a question for Peter on the subject we're discussing or anything really outside of that, we'll kind of consider this an open lines Kersenow hour on uh am 1420 the answer so dial now if you've ever had a question for pete and we'll bring those calls in and kind of merge them with our conversation as we go so that's uh that's on the table for you now pete you and i i want to discuss the i want to discuss criminality in america i want to discuss the criminal justice reform bill that is being now endorsed by the president of the united states uh it's called the first step act it's been presented to him In a bipartisan fashion, a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats, uh, support this, uh, this bipartisan bill, which would essentially shorten prison sentences for a lot of drug offenders, uh, people considered to be nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, it would also, it does a lot of the things that issue one in the state of Ohio was defeated, quite frankly, back on November 6th. Uh, but it does it on the national level, the federal level. And I want to tie that To policing in America, because yesterday I became aware of, and I appreciate you making me aware of a report issued by your commission, the Civil Rights Commission, entitled Police Use of Force and Examination of Modern Policing Practices. And Pete, it appears to me that what your commission is endorsing here in this 230 page report, um, which I did not read all of, but it appears to me what they are supporting is a return to the Obama-slash-Lynch Department of Justice era of uh, of federally mandating how local police officers do their jobs through the use of consent decrees and other means uh, that were completely, uh, uh, I don't want to say overruled by, but something that Attorney General Jeff Sessions did not support. Now that Sessions is gone... Are your colleagues on the Civil Rights Commission trying to go back to that era while the president searches for a new full-time attorney general?
3: Absolutely, they are, and I think it's the most wrong-headed thing we could possibly be doing. Uh, just for your listeners' sakes, for those who don't know, there are eight members of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Six of them are liberal and um, very liberal. Uh, two of us are conservative, and I wrote a dissent to this, and it was a dissent based on the fact that this is boneheaded beyond belief. Um A reversion back to the Obama-era approach is a reversion back to the the expansive nature of uh, kowtowing to criminals Um, in presuming that if you are nice to criminals and hamstring police, somehow that is going to make the quote-unquote community feel better about you and they'll be less inclined to commit crimes. It is one of the most wrong-headed things. I mean, it's a very long report, as you've just indicated. Um, The number of words don't make it any better. In fact, (laughs) the more words they pile onto it, the more ridiculous it becomes. I'm trying to be restrained in this, Bob. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that, you know, I try to give deference to my colleagues in terms of, uh, I, I think they're operating in good faith, but it is one of the dumbest things I could imagine. It would take a long time to explain all the reasons why it's dumb. But among other things is they are really looking to go back to the consent decree model of the Lynch holder justice departments that resulted in maybe, as I say in my dissent, maybe it made certain activists within the relevant communities feel good as if they've accomplished something, but it resulted in significant spikes in crime. Police officers were handcuffed, and I'm putting that mildly. Not only were they handcuffed, but they felt as if they were being subject. The presumption was that every act or many acts that they took were wrong or unlawful or should be uh, second-guessed. And because of that, it was a reflection of what was called the Ferguson effect. Our friend Heather McDonald uh, coined that term several years ago after The Michael Brown incident in Ferguson, Missouri, Mm -hmm. where because of all the opprobrium leveled against police departments by the Obama Justice Department and Obama himself and others, police officers concerned that, you know, they would lose their jobs, concerned that they would possibly go to jail because of the scrutiny that was being applied to them. In many cases, I think unfair scrutiny, ridiculous scrutiny, not to say that, you know, there shouldn't be oversight or anything like that. And that's not what police departments or police officers were arguing. It was that it was a presumption of guilt of police officers whenever they used force. Um, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but there, that seemed to be the case with respect to many activists and some within the Obama Justice Department. As a result of that, police began to withdraw Maybe not overtly, but at least subtly from some type, some of the types of active police measures that would deter and prevent crimes and we saw spikes in crimes and not by a small margin, significant margins in the very cities where you had many of these Incidents occur, and as a result, consent decrees that were imposed upon police departments. Baltimore is, is a very good example where crime went through the roof. Chicago, where it went through the roof, and it maintains at an elevated level. And they were finding difficulty in places like Baltimore to get police officers to work for those cities. No one wanted to be employed in places where they were putting their lives on the line. They were doing things to protect the citizens within the city, and doing th- these things in a diligent, forthright manner, and yet they were subject to a presumption of, of, of malfeasance. So um, uh, my dissent uh, speaks for itself. If any of your listeners want to get a hold of it, it's you, know, you can go to the commission website. Uh, there are several newspaper articles in Washington Post and, and Chicago Tribune and other places that uh, have a link to it. But I think that we've got to get back to, I, I disagree with my colleagues entirely on this, a reversion back to the Obama Justice Department. I think Jeff Sessions got it right here. He uh, didn't want these kinds of handcuffs being placed on police officers. He didn't approach them with a presumption of guilt. And you know, look, he would obviously support vigorous oversight of police by police uh, supervision and others, but not to the point where... Criminals had an advantage over police officers in these various cities. Mm. Um, Again, go back to the cities where you've got these consent decrees. Take a look at the crime rates pre- and post-consent decrees. Come to your own conclusions.
2: Peter Kirstenau is our guest, of course, here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's a special hour-long edition of Kirstenau with us. Uh, if you've got a question for Pete, dial up 216 901 He will answer your questions, whether it's about police reform, consent decrees, the First Step Act, or anything else. Dial now, 216 901 Pete, um, Attorney General Sessions, obviously... Um, was was instrumental, I think, in getting rid of uh, the enforcement of these co- consent decrees. He completely saw things your way as opposed to the Holder-Lynch way. And the president has replaced him now, as we know. Now, I know the president's motivation here. I get it, and I understand it. He wants someone who can be stronger, whether it be the interim or acting AG, Matthew Whitaker, or... His, uh, you know, soon-to-be appointed replacement for Sessions. I get it. He wants somebody who can represent the administration better, perhaps against the uh, attacks from the left by way of the Mueller investigation. But this is extraordinarily important. This is where Jeff Sessions played a great role for him and aided him in trying to support law enforcement and the rule of law. You take this: the firing of Sessions, who is, uh, you know, again the most staunch opponent of these c- consent decrees and add it to the president's uh, very public endorsement of the First Step Act, which is, in my view, I know he doesn't like this phrasing, the president doesn't, but it's soft on crime, particularly drug crime, uh, with the belief that somehow drug crime is nonviolent. Um, and, and, I, and I worry about the direction of criminality and, uh, and, and law enforcement in the United States right now. In large part, because of again, you know, Jeff Sessions was opposed to that first step back, as you would act as you know, and now there's nobody to offer a counterpoint of view in the administration.
3: Yeah, that's that really bothers me considerably. I think the first step step act, um, I will, I've been using the term "boneheaded." I'll stick with it. it. is very boneheaded. I disagree vehemently with the president on this. In fact, I had sent several uh, memoranda to the White House over the last year or so regarding this uh, approach when it was first proposed and um i want to
2: sign my name below yours on those
3: yeah i think that i mean it, it we don't have enough time to go into all the reasons why it's it's uh it's i think dangerous and i think i may understand the president's motivation in this but it's contrary to the representations he made during the campaign and beyond into the first part of his administration with respect to law enforcement and crime and his approach to law enforcement and crime it is Something that the left has been pushing for for quite some time, and you're right, that it is, quote-unquote, bipartisan, which should trouble all of us. Uh, Whenever the far left and some Republicans join together on something, you know it's got to be a monumentally stupid thing. And be very, very careful about it. I would encourage your listeners to take a look at some of the literature with respect to the First Step uh, plan or the First Step legislation. Um, It is being marketed as something that will uh, be fairer or fairer sentences for people who are engaged in nonviolent crimes or drug crimes and to be fair, there's a certain element of that, and it provides a little bit more discretion in terms of sentencing. But the bottom line here is, and there's copious empirical evidence on this. That's what's so bizarre about this. We've got evidence as to what works and what doesn't work. And what this will do is, it's not just little minor crimes here or there, quote unquote minor crimes, where you've got, um, you know, younger people or certain individuals who have maybe been sentenced for drug usage or drug trafficking on a minor this this applies to big time traffickers too it applies a lot of these people who will be released just as obama did in his administration a lot of these folks are engaged or had been engaged in violent activity in the course of drug activity
2: exactly We're not just-
3: we're not just letting go minor little guys here and there. That's the, the big problem here. And it's astonishing to me that Republicans will sign on to... The, the only good news here is we've got some stalwart Republicans, Tom Cotton, leading the charge, who are saying this is... Not in the best interest of the United States Are trying to slow this train down And I'm hopeful we can prevail
2: And, and unfortunately we're fighting with ourselves Staunch conservatives like Cotton Being challenged by staunch conservatives like Mike Lee right. Who support this thing And and that's a that's a really really big issue for us Peter Kersenau is our guest We'll take a time out here We'll go check our traffic Again Peter is with us through the hour And he will take your phone calls I see some people on hold already I do have a couple of open lines as well You got a question for Kersenau on this or anything else? Dial now, 216-901-0945, or 888-281-1110. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Already have our tickets. My family and I, we already have our tickets to uh, Creed 2. Thanksgiving night, actually. After we get all fat on turkey, we're going to go to see Creed 2 as a family. I cannot wait. Absolutely love the first one and the entire Rocky series, of course. All right. Peter Kirsten now back with us. Short segment here before the bottom of the hour news. Uh, Peter is, of course, uh, uh, uh the noted commissioner of the, uh, uh, commissioner on the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, I want to go right to a couple of phone calls so we can dive in on this, hopefully without, without disconnecting you. Uh, John and Shardon's got a question for you. John, are you there? Yes.
3: Okay. You're on the air. Yeah, go gentlemen. Ahead. Yeah, can President Trump issue an executive order to counter the decree from the judge in the Ninth Circuit District in California, giving these Mexicans a free pass coming through Tijuana? Yeah, well, I, don't, I haven't looked at at the order. I've not looked at the order yet. I'm just vaguely familiar with it looking at the news reports. I have to take a look at it. I would be skeptical that he could simply do an executive order that would circumvent this, but I couldn't well, uh, give you a definitive... Uh, answer to that,
2: yeah, Pete. If I understand it correctly, isn't this what the order does—the the the restraining order given uh, by, uh, uh, granted by this judge? Uh, in response to the ACLU lawsuit, actually, is because of the president's executive order right. that says you have to come to a port of entry, and if you come across any other way, you're going to be denied. This judge said you can't do that. So, I mean, I don't it's understand. It would just be it's dueling just like orders. It's like a travel ban. It's a yeah. like
3: travel ban. You know, it's it's how you couch it sometimes that can, can uh, make the difference. But I don't want to opine out without having read the judge's order, and right. looking at the executive order with respect to asylum, it, it uh, I can only speculate, and I don't want to do that. But Bob, if I could, I want to just mm-hmm. revisit for a moment this um, First Step Act, and again, reiterate how dumb this is. Pete, One I'll, tell you, what, I'll, tell, you, I'll a, tell
2: you what, Pete, because this was a real short segment, because we have news here, let's start the next segment with that, okay? Let's have you uh, respond to the, okay. uh, the, the, uh, the boneheadedness, I think was the word you were using, of the uh, First Step Act. We'll do that on the other side of the News and I have a lot of people on hold who want to ask questions of Peter Kirsch now as well. If you are want to be one of them, call 216-901-0945, and we'll be right back with Pete after this.
0: Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM
2: 1420. The answer. Anywhere. There we go. Now that's what I wanted to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for joining us as we continue now at 1035 on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to bring Peter Kirsten now back on the line. Peter, of course, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, the host of The Kirsten, I'll report you here daily, uh, here on AM 1420, The Answer. And Pete, before we go to phone calls, and I know you also want to address the buffoonery of the First Step Act. Oh, I'm sorry, but boneheadedness. I think they're all synonymous. It's okay. Um, I, I wanted to. <laughs> and speaking of buffoonery and boneheadedness, here is the new Congresswoman representing the Brooklyn district or the area of New York City, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. What we really need is that. Should we and if we work our butts off to make sure that we take back all three chambers of Congress, uh, rather all three chambers of government? the presidency, the Senate, and the House in 2020, we can't start working in 2020. Uh, Pete, um, <laughs> to say that conservative Twitter had uh, a lot of fun with, uh, with Kelly Bundy, I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is an understatement. Uh, how, this woman gets to vote on our budgets, Pete. She gets to vote on funding our military. She gets to vote on national sovereignty. She gets to vote on, on everything that the House gets to vote on. She she First of all, she doesn't realize the word is branches, not chambers. And second of all, she doesn't know what the three branches are. She thinks they're the President, the House, and the Senate. Uh, she, she's in Congress, Pete!
3: Yeah, I tell you, uh, <laughs> but she here, here's the thing. Um, she says it out loud, but there's a not unsizable cohort within congress who may not say it out loud but think the same thing she does <laughs> don't know any better that's that's the really frightening thing but she probably does stand apart from most others in terms of the level of her ignorance well
2: but the hit list we have today the hit list of hers you know there's a montage it just keeps growing you know you know what there's alexandria cortez ocasio cortez is is a human browns quarterback jersey you know the the jersey that's got it just keeps being added to, you know, one after the other after the other. You know, she that's what her her list of gaffes. I mean, she's Joe Biden on steroids. She's at a much faster pace than Joe was, even at the same age. I think um, it's hysterical. She literally is clueless, and they chose her to represent them. What does that say about the body that chose her to be their representative? She's like the you know the 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 biggest idiot among a district of idiots apparently, and uh, she speaks for all of us. But
3: anyway, this is is the cohort that goes around smashing statues and saying that, you know, the Hamiltons and the Madisons and the Jays and the Washingtons (laughs) and so on and so forth are, you know, unworthy fathers of our country that, you know, they're all racists and bigots and they don't know anything. And of course, everything they do uh, is necessarily evil and bad. Um, so this is where we are today in America. Yeah. Uh, this she, is, uh, you know, some of this has to be laid at the feet of our educational system and, and every other system you can think of. Frankly. She,
2: uh, she also is, of course, a strong advocate for Medicare for all. Forty trillion dollars worth of Medicare for all. And when asked over and over again how to pay for it, she said, "You just pay for it. You just go yeah. to the Treasury as if they can just print new sheets of money." And they just- do.
3: There's Bob. There's a <laughs> money tree in the basement of of the White House, and <laughs> there's no reason why we just can't keep printing this
2: stuff. Uh, all right, Pete. Let's dive back into the first step. You wanted to talk. About about the ignorance of the First Step Act. Yeah, it is bipartisan uh, in, in its nature, and the president has given his endorsement of it now that he has rid himself of Attorney General Sessions, who very much opposed it. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I will make a prediction that this is going to be um, have extraordinarily negative consequences if it gets passed. I'm hopeful that smart people in both chambers of commerce, or maybe it's all three chambers, I'm sorry. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> That's going to play for a long time.
3: But uh, I hope that they can come to their senses and prevent this from passing. And here's just one, one little stat that I'd like to give to you. Remember, this purportedly will give some leniency on th- – this is the way it's being touted – to those unfortunate individuals who have been sentenced because of drug crimes and crimes that aren't necessarily crimes that are, are that serious. The fallacy with respect to that is, I've looked at the data, I know Jeff Sessions has, a lot of other people, Tom Cotton have, has also, and I've, you've probably seen, I think I've probably copied you with yes. some of the letters that had written to the President or to Grassley and others on this, because the Commission has had hearings on these things. We've done our homework on it. Um, If you look at the Bureau of Justice Statistics on this, and they track recidivism rates for prisoners. Now, remember, we're talking about supposed nonviolent offenders. What's amazing about this is you you have approximately 400,000 state prisoners who were released in the year 2005 over about 30 states or so. 400,000. Of those 400,000, 77% went back to commit crimes. But not only that, um, during a nine-year period, 83% of those went on to commit crimes. They were rearrested on average five times, and more than three-quarters of them were committing, of, of the drug offenders, committed non-drug offenses since their release. When you release individuals, there's something called, in, in um, when you're talking about penal uh, law and um, the studies related to it, called incapacitation, and, and all that is is a fancy word for saying that when somebody's in jail, he can't commit crimes. Right. Um, we've somehow lost track of that component to our justice system, and when these individuals are released and are committing more offenses, and they're going to be committing violent offenses, even if they were in the past simply a drug offense. What happens is the liberals and others keep scratching their heads on a very peculiar phenomenon. Just They just can't figure it out that crime rates are at a, at a low, but the prison rate is very high. Well, for most normal people, we figured it out. That's because the criminals are behind bars. In jail.
2: Right. In right. prisons. Exactly right.
3: <laughs> there's, there's a reason why you have people in jail that goes beyond punishment, um, you know, goes beyond rehabilitation, and it's incapacitation to prevent these individuals from com- uh, committing these crimes. And as I said before, you're looking at a nine-year period after the release, and an average of five arrests per person released. Five arrests. And, as I said before, 30, or I'm sorry, 77% of those arrests are for violent crimes. So my prediction to you is not based on any great prescience or anything. It's based on statistics. Right. That If this thing passes, crime rates are going to go up. Violent crime rates are going to go up. But more importantly, Bob, these supposed um, individuals that are going to be released only because they've, they, they've committed minor drug offenses. In, I can't give you a percentage because I don't have it, but in a large percentage of the cases... We're talking about people who have already committed violent crimes as a component of the drug offense.
2: Peter Kirstenow is our guest. Pete, that's uh, one of the reasons why, you know, because the president is listening to his liberal son-in-law and his liberal daughter, uh, Jared and Ivanka, on this. It's one of the reasons why yesterday... And during our grading, um, the president, of course, in his interview with Chris Wallace on Sunday, gave himself an A-plus and asked if there was anything higher than that so he could go higher for himself. And I gave him a B to B-plus, and this is one of the reasons why, this type of thinking. It is it is a very dangerous thing to do. He is letting himself be led by people that he should not be le- uh, letting lead, including, like I said, his liberal family members. And, uh, and I hope somebody snaps him to his senses before this thing gets in front of him and he puts his Donald J. Trump on it.
3: Yeah, and one of the problems we've yeah. got, Bob, is now that you've got a Democrat-controlled <clears> house, <throat> and you've got a certain number of republican senators that support this right. who knows what manner of idiocy will issue from this this is yeah. this is something that i hope your listeners Will, you know? I know we've talked to them about the fact that you know keep a phone number next to your phone, keep an email address next to your phone of your representatives, get in touch with them. This is something that could affect them. No question. We're talking about millions of crimes that will be committed as a result of, and I mean millions over a period of years, and they're going to be violent crimes also, not little petty crimes or drug offenses and some teenager out there smoking right. a joint. No, we're talking about serious crimes that are going to be committed. And, you know, I don't want to ascribe, I, I think that everyone who supports this has the best of intentions, but they better take a look at the data. Well,
2: maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'll be honest with you, I even question the President's motive in this, too, because the President was very clear, as recently as 2013, 14, 15, there are old tweets in which he opposes the very same measures that are being uh, uh, put forth in this First Step Act that he is uh, he is uh, endorsing. And in his announcement of that endorsement, backed by a bipartisan coalition of members of Congress and, and, and uh, religious leaders and others, he pointed out that, uh, what we are doing is reversing the Clinton era, um, um, of, uh, in which they had the most blacks imprisoned in the United States in history because of these rules. And it sounds to me like, you know, it's more than just a, a noble, uh, uh, effort here. It's, it's pandering. Knowing full well he needs more black votes. You have talked about this. If the Democrats get less than, uh, 90% or 95% or whatever it is of blood, the black vote, they're, they're, they're sunk. They're the way of the Whig party, to quote you. And I think the president sees this as an opportunity to pull more black votes his way, which means, quite honestly, I don't know if his motivation is as pure and as noble as, uh, uh, as, uh, as, as it might appear. It may be, just pand- it may be, it may be pandering for, for minority votes the way the left always does
3: whatever the motivation, it's wrong handed. Yes. It's wrong-headed because the victims of this are going to be black disproportionately. Bingo!
2: All. I'm sorry. That's
1: the
3: problem. You know, they're going to be returning. These These people are released. They're not going to be going to, you know, uh, some Tony. Just, these are individuals that are going to come in, be coming to my neighborhood. They're yep. going to be victimizing black residents in those neighborhoods. So, look, regardless of what the motivation is, the facts are plain, and I'll say it again, 83% of prisoners are rearrested within a nine year period on an average of five, five times per. During that period. <laughs> and. In 77% of those cases, the drug offenders released go on to commit violent crimes.
2: It's an amazing thing, and statistics do not lie. Pete, you probably have forwarded those things uh, to me in the past, but I wouldn't mind if you forwarded them again, so yeah, I have I my will. fingertips. I appreciate it. Let's talk to Jeff in Wadsworth, and I believe this is probably our friend uh, from uh, the... Or the uh, uh, goodness gracious. Jeff, what's your organization?
4: Medina County Conservative Coalition.
2: I kept wanting to say Cuyahoga, and I know it's not Cuyahoga because that's not where Wadsworth is. It's in Medina County, and I w- and you've changed that name. It used to be something else, too. So uh, Jeff uh, Malick, uh, on with Peter Kersenow as well. How are you doing, my friend?
4: Very well. Um, happy Thanksgiving to both the France family and the Kersenow family. And to yours. Thank you. Thank you. A um, couple things. First of all, a proposal. Could we maybe require that before you run for an office in Congress that you have to take a, a, uh, a civics test or a citizenship test, not that it's a stipulation that you have to pass it to get in, but at least the people voting would know if you know absolutely nothing, you would know that that's who you're voting for. Maybe Ocasio-Cortez would not be there if uh, if something like that was in place. Just a suggestion. Yes, the pro- the problem is that it, sh- it wouldn't be limited to Ocasio-Cortez. We may oh, be I walking
3: was, yeah. through empty houses of Congress. But
2: but you know, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I would be okay with that, honestly. Man, make it mandatory that you take one of those and then let the people vote based on what, what they saw or it may be a factor. But uh, I, I have it on good authority that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, before she agreed to run, she, uh, she made sure that there was no IQ test. She said if they have an IQ <laughs> test to run I'm not peeing in a cup for anybody so that's Uh, (laughs) that's what what Cortez said from what I understand so uh, I stole that one from Twitter by the way but uh, what else you got Jeff yeah just a couple questions
4: Uh, regarding the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights Pete um, what first of all do you guys get together or is it all done kind of via email and phone calls because I'm curious If you sit down in a room, what do the six liberal members say about the copious amounts of empirical evidence that shows the stupidity of their stance on on reverting back to the Obama-era federal oversight of local police departments? How do they defend that?
3: They don't, Jeff. I've been doing this for going on 18 years now, and I sit in the room. Yeah, we do get together. We have meetings, uh, at least uh, hearings once a month. We do a lot by email and phone, too. But uh, this is an issue that we encounter on a regular basis, that some proposal that seems um, compassionate to them, seems sensitive, it's going to right the wrongs of the past, et cetera, et cetera, nonetheless visit profound harms on the very people they consider to be the beneficiaries of their policies. And we've got copious evidence of this. That's what's so maddening about this. I, I very often will say, look, I am going to ascribe to you, the best of intentions and motives. But intentions and motives are one thing. Results are what I'm really looking at. And when you look at the results... Of some of their proposals, because some of these things have been tried before. That's one of the great things about the federal society, the, the uh, federal nature of our government, that we have laboratories of democracy. Sometimes they occur in certain discrete states that have passed certain legislation, or in localities, and you can look at what's happened in those places. And almost uniformly, when they propose something that is supposed to eliminate, for example, disparities in criminal justice, uh, the criminal justice system, or disparities in the educational system, or any kind of disparities, they do so in a fashion that increases the very problem they're trying to address. And it happens over and over. We're not talking, this is not speculative either, Jeff. This is by a significant margin where you've got increases in crime or or when it comes to education, increases in those that fail. Um, This is not a good thing. And yet, despite this evidence, and it occurs over and over and over again, what's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Well, you know, I'm not. Going to say that my colleagues are the same, but they they will they are uh, oblivious or well I can't say they're oblivious to it because I present it to them. They they just ignore the obvious consequences mm-hmm. of their policy prescriptions, and I'm not going to say this about my colleagues on the commission. But what I have seen with respect to some liberal or progressive politicians is that. When they do so, they do so because it's easy to understand, you know, I'm a good guy because I don't want people unnecessarily placed in jails for a long period of time, or I'm a good guy because I want to reduce racial disparities in, in education and sentencing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But feeling good about yourself is not the objective of being elected to office. It is doing the right thing pursuant to our constitutional framework for the people of this country.
2: Jeff, I appreciate your call, my friend. Good to hear from you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family again. i got to cut you loose, though, because we're short on time, and we need to get our last traffic. we got time for a couple more phone calls for Peter Kirsten now on the other side, uh, this time out right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Final segment of the broadcast for this Tuesday morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, you've got uh, Mike Gallagher coming up right after uh, this program ends. Make sure you stay with him until Dennis Prager, and uh, it's just tremendous conservative radio all day long on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kirsten now with us for the entire hour. I told you you could call him, and uh, you have been doing so. Let's continue that trend right now for the final segment. Uh, Pete, we're going to go to Brook Park, and we're going to say hello to Frank uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Frank, you're on the air with Bob and Pete. Go ahead.
4: Thank you uh, as citizens I wish uh, Peter would reemphasize what was already said about 15 minutes ago uh, what can we citizens do to help curb the criminal activity uh, such as for example uh, with that first step program what can we do right now uh, you know and what what maybe what citizens what we should we citizens watch out for to give us a clue about this can yeah just a couple re-emphasize? things.
3: Uh, I'm glad for the, the question because I'm asked this very often when I'm speaking to different groups throughout um, throughout Ohio. And those who've heard me, I, I usually come up with a very simple prescription. That may be disappointing because it's so, so simple, but it's extraordinarily effective. And I tell people it's effective because I've seen how it works. I've actually been in, in senators' or Congress critters' offices while this has happened. Just take out an index card. It has to low-tech. Get an index card. Find the telephone numbers of all of the representatives that represent you, but principally the person who represents you in Congress and your senators, okay? Also, put down your council people and everything else like that. Um, Also, get out the White House address. It's very simple. And put out the, the, the physical address and email. This way, if you've got it next to your phone or next to your computer, when something irritates you or something captures your attention or you hear something on the Bob France show that concerns you, you can immediately go to the computer, type in the email, and just all you need to do is send a short missive that says something no more complicated than I oppose first step, it's boneheaded doesn't have to be anything more than that. You don't have to give a great, you know, uh, explanation for why you oppose it. Simply say that. And those of you who've heard me say this before, I have been in congressman's office in the, you know, the vestibule there where the people take the phone calls. I remember during the immigration reform uh, proposal of McCain back in 2006, 2007, the phones were ringing off the hook. It has an effect. When you call in, it has probably a greater effect than when you email Or sending a physical letter has a tremendous effect. Email probably doesn't have as much of an effect, but it has an effect. When you make actual physical contact with them, they actually listen, and a critical mass will develop. They start to see people responding to this, and if they had preliminarily supported first step, they will then change because they are about self preservation and survival also, and political self preservation says that you listen to your constituents. If they're not hearing from you, They're going to go forward with what the president wants or what the majority leader wants, but if they hear from you, the persons who've put them into office, they will change their mind. They will do it. So if you can just go through that simple exercise, because a lot of what deters people from doing that is, geez, I don't know the name of my representative, or geez, I can't look it up, take the time right now. So put it on an index card next to your telephone or your computer so that when an issue does arise, you don't have to fumble about and it doesn't act as a deterrent to your actually contacting that person.
2: Nothing speaks louder to a representative than their voters telling them, if you don't do what I want you to do, you're not going to be my representative very much longer. Make them hear it. I completely agree, Pete. T.J. in Cleveland is next with a question for Peter Now Go ahead, T.J. Yeah, hi, Peter. Uh, You know, Peter, I I understand that Trump could send federal troops down to the border only in a support role, but they couldn't partake in an active role. Now, in 1967, President Johnson did send federal troops into Detroit during the riots in an active role. How did President Johnson get away with it, but Trump can't do it?
3: Yeah, there are certain exceptions to posse comitatus. And there's also, with respect to use of federal troops and also National Guard troops that uh, governors order to come out, and among the exceptions are insurrections, what might be considered to be insurrections. The border issue... And and again, you know, there could be exceptions to the border uh, also, but you don't have the kind of violent incursions that you might have in, you know, during the 1960s, Newark, Detroit, Cleveland, the Huff riots, Glenville riots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So National Guard troops could be brought out for something like that. Um, My argument with respect to the border is when you've got 7,000-plus individuals coming in to the country waving foreign flags and saying that they're going to break your laws to to do it, that's an invasion. That's an invasion. That's a military incursion.
2: Peter, that's a great answer and a great explanation, as everything that you give us is. And I say that not to butter you up, but it's all legitimate and it's real. Uh, We are out of time, though. Peter Kirsten, I wish you and your family a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll catch up with you again next week. All right, my friend? Happy Thanksgiving, Bob. And to you as well. That is all the time that we've got on AM 1420. The answer, as I mentioned, though, stay here because Mike Gallagher is next. We'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy
0: the silence.